Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to Titus, the second chapter. I'm going to read three verses in just a moment from Titus chapter 2. As we get ready to spend the next few minutes in the Word of God, let's get those Bibles cranking to Titus, the second chapter, and I'm going to meet you there in just a moment. It is great to see everybody this morning. What an excellent number we have in attendance to worship God on this first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And really, there is no better way to start the week And to be with God's people, doing God's things, to give encouragement, to receive encouragement, and all of that comes together really to just fill up our spiritual tank so that we're ready to go into the week and be ready for the next seven days as we serve the Lord throughout our lives. Great to see you here today. Great to be back today after the week in Eubank. It was good to be with those folks, but even better to be with the folks in here. In Titus chapter 2, I'm reading in verse number 11. Read with me where Paul says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Back in 2008, when then-Senator Barack Obama was running for the office of President of the United States, there was a poster that was created with an image of Mr. Obama's likeness in various shades of red, white, and blue. And it had a simple caption at the bottom. That caption was simply, Hope. And that poster became rather iconic. I think there were maybe a couple million physical copies of that poster printed. It was plastered everywhere. It was all over the Internet. I am totally non-political, and yet even I saw that poster. And in many ways, its simple message, a message of hope, it really kind of became the platform for Mr. Obama's entire campaign. In fact, that wasn't the first time that Barack Obama had said some things about hope. In 2004, Senator Obama delivered a speech at the Democratic National Convention in which he very famously talked about hope, what it is and what it is not, which then in turn led to him writing a best-selling book in 2006, and it was titled The Audacity of Hope. Now, whether you agree with President Obama's politics or not, there is no denying that what he was tapping into was an idea that really resonated with a lot of people in this country. Because at a time when our country was really kind of in a transitional period, our country was in an economic downturn at that time, the unemployment rates were rising and household incomes were falling, jobs were being outsourced to other countries, there was still a great amount of uneasiness in our country from previous terrorist attacks, there was the rising trend of mass shootings and school shootings, It's a time when cynicism was on the rise. There was this growing sense of distrust that our political leaders could really get get anything done, the things that they had promised. At a time when there was just so much uncertainty and doubt and fear in this land, President Obama galvanized a large segment of this country on the promise of hope. The hope of a better day, he would say in his election night speech when he was elected president of the United States ten years ago. Now, I suppose that it is debatable as to whether or not President Obama actually came through on all of those hopes and whether those things actually came to fruition or not. But you know, there's really no doubt at all that a message of hope, that that just has a way of stirring the human heart. 
That has a way of seizing our attention. It has a way of spurring people on to action. Hope, in many ways, is a powerful motivator. But of course, you realize this morning that the hope that is offered by a smooth-talking politician, that is not the same as the hope that we just read about in Titus chapter 2. The kind of hope that is offered by the very Creator of the universe the kind of hope that is promised and is explained in great detail in the pages of His Word. In fact, here in Titus chapter 2, Paul says that hope, that it is very much a part of the fabric of Christianity. In verse 11, notice that Paul ties together our past. The grace of God has appeared. He ties that to our present, verse 12, living godly lives in this present age. So that all of that then leans forward in an earnest expectation of the future, verse 13, our blessed hope. What our world needs, what our country needs, what our society needs, what men and women of every kind, what you and I need is genuine hope. Now, every Christian knows about hope, or at least we think we know about hope. That is a regular word in our vocabulary, quite common to hear in our prayers and, of course, in our songs and in just our daily talk about about hope. And We know about hope, the hope of heaven. We've got the hope of heaven and what a wonderful hope that is. But sometimes I'm afraid that after we get done spouting all of that religious phraseology, we don't really know what we're talking about. We don't really stop and think about what that means. As a result, hope many times is one of those things that just kind of is inert. It's powerless. It just kind of sits there on the floor of our hearts because we haven't truly comprehended the magnitude of this blessing called hope. Well, this morning, I want to help us in that regard. I want to help us to rediscover the importance of hope. And if you don't have a Bible out yet, you need to get one out right now. Because I'm going to show you in just a moment, consistently, how the Scriptures trumpet a message of hope. Then once we've done that, what I'd really like to do is I'd like for us to do some some clarifying, making some, some important distinctions. I want us to clarify what biblical hope really is. Because the Christian's hope is very, very different from the hope that our world talks about. And we want to make sure that we're talking and we're thinking in God's language And that we're not talking about something that isn't even really hope at all. And then finally, we want to bring all of that together. To see that hope is something not for later. Hope is something for now. It's a now thing. And we want to consider what hope does for us right now in the present. Are you ready for that? Let's just start by stacking up some Bible. Let's just see how much the Word of God trumpets this message of hope. I think if we'll just appreciate the number of ways that hope is talked about in Scripture, then we're going to come to appreciate on a greater level what a powerful blessing it is in our lives. And I want to begin that in Romans the 15th chapter. Would you find Romans chapter 15? Because there Paul actually tells us that more than half of the Bible was written to cause hope and to sustain hope. Did you know that? Paul says so, Romans 15, verse 4. Paul says there, Romans chapter 15, and in verse 4, Paul writes, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. You know what that's talking about? 
That's talking about those Old Testament Scriptures on the left-hand side of your Bible, those 39 books. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Paul says that that is what the Old Testament is supposed to be doing. That one of the primary functions of those books from Genesis to Malachi is to build hope in our lives. That's one of the reasons when folks dismiss the Old Testament, I get pretty upset. Paul says it builds hope within us. In 1 Corinthians now, in 1 Corinthians 13, we'll just work our way forward through the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this chapter is famous for what it says about love. We've often heard what 1 Corinthians 13 says about love, but don't sleep on the other stuff that this chapter praises. If you were to describe Christianity in just three words, what three words would you use? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, look in verse 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Did you notice Paul says there that hope is considered a cornerstone of our Christianity? That it is just as essential as faith and love in our daily walks with God. Maybe move a little bit further in the New Testament. Look in the book of Ephesians now. In Ephesians chapter 4. Here in Ephesians 4, Paul provides the platform for Christian unity. Notice what a big part of that involves. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is verse 4. Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope, That belongs to your call. This one hope, it helps to provide unity for God's people. You know, that's why I often think about when you get to go on vacation, maybe you go somewhere and you assemble with the church in a place that you've never been before and you don't even know anybody there, but you come in and guess what? If you don't know anything else about anybody, you at least know this. We've got this in common. We share this one hope. We're all striving for the same thing, headed in the same direction. That's an extraordinary kind of thing when you think about it. In 2 Thessalonians now, look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, plunge a little further. In 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul tells the Thessalonian brethren that they need to stand firm. And one of the things that he says that will help them to stand firm is in verse 16. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 16, Paul says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them. Did you notice that? Paul says that hope, that it is a gift from God. And in fact, he says that that hope, that gift, it is tied directly to grace itself. It is a gracious gift bestowed upon us by the Father. In fact, just turn a page or two to 1 Timothy now. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, because not only is hope a gracious gift from God, watch this, 1 Timothy 1 verse 1, Paul introduces this letter by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Jesus Christ Our hope. Look at that. Hope is embodied in the person of Jesus Himself. When you think of hope, I'm going to tell you what's the first thing you need to think of. When you think of hope, the picture in your mind, first thing, needs to be Jesus. That's what Paul says here. Jesus is our hope. In Titus now, just keep working through the, the T chapters in the Bible. In Titus... 
In Titus chapter 1, Paul introduces this letter with these words. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Notice there how Paul says that hope, not only is it attached to eternal life, But Paul says that hope is rooted in the very promises of God. Our hope, everything that I'm talking about this morning, all of that rests on God's promises. I need you to hold that thought because we'll come back to it in just a moment. I need now to grab 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, a huge talking point for Peter in this first chapter of 1 Peter is hope. In fact, he references hope three times in this chapter alone. I want to look at just the first of those. In 1 Peter chapter 1, look in verse 3. In 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice that hope is not some dead, inert, powerless concept. No, Peter says that hope is living, that it has life. In fact, it gives life. You put all that together, hope is important. Hope is significant. Hope matters. Hope is a critical component to who and what we are as the children of God. And you need to know that this, this is just the hem of the garment. Hope is talked about more than 70 times in the New Testament alone. And really an argument could be made that hope is really, really the message of hope is on every page of the Bible. In fact, I ran across an article that a brother had written in which he said this. He said, hope is a continual theme throughout the Bible. And it is closely interwoven with faith and trust and waiting on the Lord. All of those themes are inseparable. And if we believe what God says then we hope for the final fulfillment of what He has promised. And I believe that's exactly right. Do you see how significant hope is? That's why I think it's important for us, secondly, to really understand what hope is. It's good to read all those verses. good to see different facets of hope. But do we really have a good working definition of what we're talking about? I need for us to draw a very clear distinction now between how the world thinks about hope, the world throws around the word hope an awful lot, we need to make a distinction between what they mean and the kind of hope that we've just read about in all of these various verses. One writer described hope as being kind of a, a slippery word. And I think what he meant by that is he meant that, well, everybody kind of knows what it is, but but it carries a lot of different meanings to a lot of different folks. For example, I could say, I hope that it doesn't rain this afternoon. I hope that the Wildcats win a championship this season. I hope that my wife will get me a new drone for Christmas. She's nodding her head no. Hope's crush. That's what I thought. You see, we hope for a lot of different things. But what that really just comes down to when we use hope in that kind of way is really we're just talking about the expression of a personal desire. Most people in the world, when they talk about hope, that's what they mean, is they mean, I wish this would happen, or I wish this would not happen. 
Here's something that maybe is uncertain. Here's something that we don't exactly know what's going to happen here. We wish that this would happen, or we wish that this would not happen, and so we drop that into the, we drop that into the hope bucket. But I want you to know this, e- this morning that the Bible does not speak about hope in those terms. In the Bible, hope is not merely wishful thinking. If you were to dig way down deep into the the Greek of that word, and you'd find the word for hope, what you'd find is you'd find that the Greek word for hope in your Bible is not wish upon a star. No. It's not the word from where we get our word fantasy or fanciful thinking. No. In fact, actually digging down deep into the Greek of this word, it isn't even necessary. Because the Bible actually, Bible actually does some defining of its own. Would you find Hebrews now? In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible does a great job here of just explaining what hope is in its own words. In Hebrews chapter 11, we think about this passage as being a passage about faith, and it is. But faith and hope are intrinsically tied together. In Hebrews 11, look in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. When you open up your Bible and you see that word hope, what we are talking about is we are talking about the future promises of what God will do. That's what biblical hope is about. It is the assurance of what we believe. It is the confidence, the conviction, the certainty that what God promises... That's going to happen. It will happen. It must happen because God said it. Hope is the confident expectation that God's future promises will be fulfilled. Do you see now, do you see what a drastic difference there is between God's language and the language of the world? Hope is not wishful projection. Hope is the assured, settled conviction of what will Come to pass. In fact, when you think about it, I heard somebody say this, and I like this a lot. Hope is faith in the future tense. Say that again. Hope is faith in the future tense. And that's exactly how the Bible speaks about hope. Would you find Romans chapter 5? In Romans chapter 5, watch Paul develop confidence, assurance, certainty. In Romans chapter 5, let's just actually just begin at the top of the chapter. In Romans 5, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Notice that word there, how that's used. You notice how faith is linked with hope. Now, trusting in God, that then causes us to look forward with a certain confidence, with a certain expectation that God is going to fulfill His Word. Not only that, verse 3 continues on, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Well, how can you rejoice in suffering? Well, because we know that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Other translations say, and I like this better, hope does not disappoint. That's it. Hope does not disappoint. The world treats hope as something that, well, it may happen, but then again, it may not happen, and that would be really disappointing if it did. 
But the Bible treats hope in a completely different way. The Bible says that hope is something that will happen because we are trusting the one who gave His Word. And that means then that biblical hope is never, oh, I hope so. No. Biblical hope is, I know so. Oh, I hope the Lord will save me someday. No, 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 no. I know the Lord will save me. That's hope. I know what God has said. I know that He's going to do exactly what He has promised. In fact, we should go back to our opening text. Go back to Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, let's see hope at work in this passage again. Now that we maybe have a little bit more definite understanding of what the Bible's talking about with hope. In Titus chapter 2, look in verse 13 again. That's the verse that talked about hope. Titus 2 verse 13. Paul says that we are, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the hope of the Christian? The hope of the Christian, according to Titus 2.13, is the appearing of Jesus Christ. That is what we are waiting for. That is what we are anticipating. That is what we have confident expectation will occur. The return of Jesus, that's going to happen. We believe that a day is coming when the sky will be rolled back as a scroll as we just sang in that song a moment ago. And we believe that at that time, our Lord, our Savior, He will descend from the heavens and we have absolute confidence that that is going to happen. And not just that He's going to return, but all the other stuff that goes along with the return of Jesus. That means as well that we have absolute confidence that when He returns, we're going to be resurrected if we are dead. And even if we are alive, we're going to be changed. We're going to be given that spiritual body that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. We read those verses and we don't just sit around and think, boy, I sure hope that will happen. No! We know that that's going to happen. And we have absolute confidence as well that when the Lord returns, when we're given that resurrected body, we know as well that justice is going to be administered upon the world and upon wickedness. That's what 2 Thessalonians 1 says. We believe that. That is going to happen. And we have absolute confidence as well that the righteous, those who are saved, those who are in a right relationship with God, we're going to be brought up to be with the Lord and we're going to get to go and be with Him for all of eternity, as 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about. We have absolute confidence that that's going to happen. There is a settled conviction in our heart that those events will happen someday. In fact, I always kind of hesitate a little bit to talk about someday. Like that sounds like that's so far away. Do you realize that that someday, that could be today. It could be tomorrow. But it could be much closer than we think. But we are convicted. Our hope demands that the Lord is going to return and in that moment we will see the fulfillment of God's Word and God's promises. Now, unfortunately, since that is our hope, the hope of the appearing of Jesus and all the things that go along with that, unfortunately, that causes us to sometimes view hope as this pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by sort of thing. About here, Since our hope is rooted in the return of Jesus and the glories of heaven that await us in the hereafter, we sometimes think about hope as being something for... Well, that's something for later. Something far, far away, way on down the road. That happens way then, but hope doesn't really do a whole lot for me right now. 
Well, I'm going to tell you that that is the wrong way of thinking about hope. Hope is one of the greatest blessings that we have in this life right now because hope does some things for us right now. In view of that certain expectation that Jesus is going to return, hope affects how I live in this present moment. It changes how I live my life right now. Do you realize that? For example, let me give you three or four things really quickly. First of all, hope, hope gives us joy. That is where our joy comes from. It comes from our hope. Hope is responsible for the joy that we possess as Christians. Hopefully the joy that was evident in our singing just a few moments ago. That's where that joy comes from. It comes from hope. Look at Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, Paul actually says a couple of times in Romans, this idea of linking hope and joy. In Romans chapter 12, look in verse 12. In Romans 12 and in verse 12, Paul says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Maybe just look across the page in Romans 15. In Romans chapter 15, look in verse 13. He says it this way. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Hope gives us joy. And i got to tell you, I love that idea. Because joy is so much better than happiness. Now, you might be thinking right now, well, Josh, joy and happiness, that's, that's the same thing. Come on, those are like virtual synonyms. No, they're not. Happiness depends on what is happening. You see that in the root word? Happiness, happening. Happiness depends on what is happening. And sometimes, let's be honest, what's happening isn't very good. Joy, on the other hand, joy works differently. Joy is inside. Joy continues even when what is happening on the outside isn't very good. Joy remains constant because joy is based on that settled confidence, that firm conviction that God is going to fulfill His promises. And so what that means is that that means that regardless of what's going on around me, maybe I've lost my job, maybe a natural disaster has called me to lose my home, maybe some terrible disease has caused me to lose my health, guess what? Nothing can steal my joy away because in the end I have the conviction that I'm going to be okay. In fact, for the Christian, that hope is not just that I'm going to be okay. For the Christian, the hope is I'm going to be great. Things are going to be amazing for me because I'm going to go and be with the Lord. You see how that confident expectation, how that creates joy... Do you see how hope has a way of just sustaining us even when we're going through just rough spots in life? Man, we've still got joy. And hope provides that. Furthermore, hope is what motivates us to serve the Lord and to live according to His will. Look at 1 John chapter 3, please. In 1 John chapter 3, I don't know how many verses we've looked at already this morning, but maybe at this point you're starting to think, boy, I tell you what, hope is everywhere in the New Testament And you're exactly right, it is. In 1 John chapter 3, John says this about hope. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. In 1 John 3, verse 3, John says, Everyone, everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Why do we live the way that we live? Why do we try to live like Jesus, be pure like Jesus? 
Well, why do we try to be so different from the rest of this world? Why did we get up early on a Sunday morning to come to church? Everybody else is sleeping in, don't you know? Sleeping in is a whole lot better. Why do we abstain from sinful pleasures and we try to live those lives of purity? Why do we do what we do? We do those things, John says, because we have hope. We have the hope of an eternity with Jesus Christ. And that hope then causes me to change how I live. It changes the words that I use. It changes my attitude. It changes my behavior and my conduct. It changes how I am living right now. And that is especially true whenever I am confronted with temptation. Hope does some things for me then. Would you find 1 Thessalonians? In 1 Thessalonians 5. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says some things here about the armor of God. In 1 Thessalonians 5, this is verse 8. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8, Paul says that since we belong to the day, let us be sober. That is, we're not out reveling and living in sin like everybody out in the darkness. We're going to be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Hope. Maybe the most important piece of spiritual armor that you can equip yourself with is that helmet that Paul calls hope. You wear that hope and that will then give you the motivation that you need to say no to sin and to say yes to the things that are good and the things that are right. Faithful service to the Lord. It is a product of our blessed hope. And then what about, maybe couched within that, what about evangelism? Has anybody ever noticed that hope is at the center of evangelism? Look in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I must confess to you, as we look at this verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, that I've read this verse a billion times before, and I've made all kinds of comments about it. And I, I just don't really think I've ever fully and completely connected the dots here. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we are told in verse 15, 1 Peter 3 verse 15, that in our hearts we are to honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope, the hope that is in you, Yet do that with gentleness and with respect. You know, for the longest time, what we have said that that verse means is that means you need to be ready to give an answer for anything that anybody asks you. You need to be ready to give an answer for why you don't have instrumental music in your worship assemblies. You need to be ready to give a defense of water baptism and why that is an essential part of God's plan of salvation. And as important as those things are, And as important as it is for us to be able to answer questions, be ready to help folks see the error of false doctrine, we need to be ready to help folks to to give an explanation of what true and correct doctrine is, you realize that that's not really what 1 Peter 3.15 is talking about. Peter says that as disciples, as we are living holy lives, as we are living distinctively, we are living with hope, Peter says that that will then cause people to see that we are different from the world. And that will cause people to say, I want to know about your hope. I want to know about your confident certainty in the future that is to come. I want to know about this hope that gives you such joy. I want to know about this hope that motivates you and fuels you to serve and do the things that you do. I want to know about the hope that is in 
you. Can I say this morning? I'm not sure that going around acting like a giant Pharisee and looking down my holier nose, holier than thou nose, at everybody because you know what, they're so stupid and they don't know anything about the Bible. I know all kinds of Bible and these people don't know nothing about the Bible. Can I tell you that I am not so sure that that is really the best approach and the best tactic to get people to come and ask me about the hope that is within me? What do you think? Doesn't work, does it? What I need to do is I need to live a hope-filled life. I need to do that in a way that reaches out to men and to women around me in love and in care and in concern so that we can then have some conversation about how they too can have this hope that we have. And you know what? Maybe the very bestest way, maybe the place in our lives where people are able to see that hope the mostest is whenever life gets rough. Whenever the storms of life come. You have to know, I've been holding off on it the whole lesson, you have to know that I was going to read this passage in Hebrews, didn't you? Look at Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, somebody's maybe looking at the screen right now and they're saying, oh man, Josh, got up there on the screen about how hope hope serves as an anchor. And wow, that's a, that's a neat metaphor. Well, I can't take credit for that. The Holy Spirit gets the credit for that. Because he says in Hebrews chapter 6, look in verse 18, that there are two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. And so we who have fled for refuge, we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Hebrew writer says that you can count on hope to hold you fast, to tie you down, to anchor you when the going gets tough. This epistle was written to a group of Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. And as a result of those difficulties and those storms, they were actually considering giving up on Christianity. And so the Hebrew writer sends them this letter. And he reminds them that they can weather the storm. Hang in there. You can do it. And why? Because hope serves as an anchor. Hope is something that reaches way down deep, just like an anchor. It's able to anchor down where the storms are not. Where there is no turbulence. Where there is no turmoil. It latches on to what is solid, what is unmovable, what cannot change. And it holds us in place. And that is why whenever our society is unraveling and falling apart at the seams, and everybody's running around like chickens with their heads cut off, we, God's people, we don't get flustered by all of that. And why? Because we are anchored to the One who has gone beyond the veil to be our High Priest forever. We are anchored to Jesus, the very embodiment of hope. Now let me tie all of this together this morning by telling you about a woman during the 1950s. Her name was Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick gained fame in 1950 by being the first woman to swim all the way across the English Channel. She did a number of other amazing things too. She had all kinds of world records. She swam the Straits of Gibraltar. Just all kinds of stuff. In 1952 though, she attempted to swim from the California coastline 
all the way to Catalina Island. That's 26 miles. The water, on top of the length, the water is notoriously cold there. The tides and the currents are absolutely awful. And yes, there are also unfriendly fish in those waters. She swam for 15 hours straight. I can't swim at all, so the thought of doing that for 15 hours boggles my mind. At that point, there then became just an incredibly thick fog that began to settle in over the water. So much so that she was not even able to see the support boat that was kind of traveling along beside her. That's how thick the fog was. And so finally, after 15 hours of swimming, she decided that she could go no more. She was exhausted. She couldn't see what was in front of her. Even though the people in the support boat said, Come on, you can do this. Keep on going. You're going to make it. We know that you can do this. She said, I can't. And they pulled her out of the water into the boat. Minutes after pulling her out of the water, the fog lifted. And you know what they found? They found that she was only a half a mile from the shore. She said later about that, she said, I didn't fail because of fatigue. I failed because of the fog. I failed... Because I gave up hope. Two months later, she tried again. And she made it. But you know, what beat her on that initial go-round was she just got lost in the fog. She lost hope. We live in really foggy times, don't we? There's lots going on that has a way of just bogging and fogging our view. And sometimes we get so obsessed thinking about and talking about the fog of this world. We gripe and moan about it. We get on social media and we just run our mouths about all the fog that's in this world. We get discouraged by that. And we think that we're not going to make it because it's so foggy. What we need is we need a hope that is able to reach down through the fog The certainty and the confidence in what God will do. We need that kind of hope to pull us up and to pull us all the way to the bright shores of heaven. The question this morning is, is do you have that hope? I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. If you are outside of Jesus Christ, the answer to that question is no. No, you do not have that hope. You may think you do. You may even have some distorted view of hope that's kind of some synthesis of what the world says about hope and what the Bible says about hope, but you don't have hope. Ephesians 2 verse 12 says that those who are separated from Christ, they have no hope in this world. And you know what? I reckon that that would be a pretty pretty cruel thing to say to, to somebody. Just say that, just lay that out there and say, you don't have any hope because you're not in Christ. That'd be a pretty mean thing to say if it weren't for the fact that you have an opportunity right now to change your story. You have an opportunity right now to seize and to lay hold of the hope that is before you. Jesus Christ, with arm outstretched, He is begging and pleading and summoning you to come to Him, surrender your life to Him. You can do that this morning by confessing your faith in Christ, repenting and turning from sin and being baptized in water. All of your past sins will be washed away and you can get tethered and anchored to the hope the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. Can we help somebody this morning to do that? Brother or sister, it may be that somewhere along the way, just like Florence Chadwick, 
Maybe you got lost in the fall. And maybe you gave up hope. Come on. Start swimming again. Let us help you. Let us encourage you. Let us pray with you. Let us help you to understand better what it is to be latched to the rock, the anchor of Jesus Christ, so that He can pull us to heaven and we can be with Him for all of eternity. Whatever your need might be, so that you can leave this morning with this hope. Why don't you do it? Why don't you do it right now while we stand and while we sing?